This podcast is Challenging Opinions and is presented by William Campbell. Thank you for downloading the Challenging Opinions podcast for October 2nd, 2017. We've dealt with a lot of cultural divides on this podcast, but in this show, it's a generational divide that's at issue. I'm talking to a veteran financial journalist who has lots of opinions about the financial effects and prospects of people who are at the other end of the age range. Challenging Opinions is the podcast where ideas are tested. Whether you are left or right, conservative or progressive, devout or skeptic, what matters is the strength of your argument, not the strength of your voice. On the phone line now, I have Bill Tatro. He's an economist who studied under the legendary John Kenneth Galbraith. And uh, Bill, on his website, BillTatro.com, recently wrote an article. Bill, you titled the article, Those Damn Millennials. Uh, what's up with those damn millennials? Well, William, the the problem is is that if we we take a step back, and oh by the way, I think you gave away my age in saying studied under John Kenneth Galbraith. I may be. I would have to say that <laughs> the the doctor and I were on two different sides of the fence. He used to say, as a freshman, and I was only seventeen at the time, Mister Tatro, and he would say Tatro, though it was Tatro. He said, uh, "You will probably never understand all this because you are an Austrian." And I am a Keynesian. And I said, doctor, I was born in upstate New York. And then, of course, he laughed at that. But many years later, I've come to understand what he means. Now, I say that because the damn millennials, right now, when you look across the United States, you see every state, you see every town, every city base their expectations of revenue, their income, their tax base on models. And that, of course, is the Keynesian philosophy. Everything is run on models. And what do I mean by that? I mean that when we take a look at the Federal Reserve today, we're, we're the expectation, my expectation is forget rising interest rates. We're going to be going to a QE4 because the models continue to not work. Keynes said, and the Keynesians from Greenspan to Janet Yellen will say, look, we have an expectation that this is the way it worked in the past. I like to use this example, William. Let's say that I was walking down the street. I'm 21 years old. I'm in, uh, oh, I don't know, Las Vegas. And, and I'm walking by myself, and there's a nice-looking young lady coming towards me. And as she passes, I make a comment. I turn my head, and I really Google and goggle. And that's my action. That's what I do. Now, let's put that many years later, and I'm walking down the same street with my wife of many years. The model says the lady coming towards me, I'm going to have the same action. I'm going to turn my head. I'm going to Google. I'm going to Google. If I did that, my wife would first kill me. Then she'd start working on me. But the Keynesians <laughs> say that's the model. And so when you take a look today, what is the model? Let's continue to print money, print money, print money. And if it hasn't worked, well, we haven't just printed enough of it. Now, as I said, when you look at the 
the the models that are used by uh, metropolitan areas, by cities, by states, they look at the model of many, many decades. Person goes to high school, maybe they go to college in the town. Let's say it's Phoenix. They go to ASU, American or Arizona State University or Arizona University, and then they leave, and many of them will stay in the community. See, they're 22, 23 years old. They'll graduate. They'll immediately get married. They'll have a, a child. Well, they'll have to buy a house. So they buy a house, and they'll have a few more children when they're 26 or 27 or 28. They'll have to have a bigger house. The individual who's 62 to 65 retires. He leaves his job. He has to then downsize. So the guy who wants the next house, and there's that kind of step up, step up, step up. That's the model. That's the way every single municipality has built their model today. I'm, I'm guessing. Well, I'm guessing, both, Bill. I'm guessing that you're going to say that this model isn't going isn't going to work anymore. Why not? It's a flawed model, William. Because first of all, the kids are not graduating at twenty or twenty one, twenty two. Secondly, they're not getting married. They may be going back to live in the homes with their parents. Over fifty five percent are doing that. Yeah. But they're not getting married until they're in their thirties. But hang on a second. Is that their fault? Is that their fault? People coming out of college. People in what I will delicately call your generation, paid a couple of hundred dollars of tuition fees. There are people who are coming out of colleges these days with a quarter of a million dollars in student loan debt. Absolutely. They, they've they've taken the on discussion. a mortgage. They've, they've taken on a mortgage that, that is equivalent in size to what, what one that would buy really quite a nice house in most areas of the United States. And they don't have a house. All they have is a debt and they have a degree that has been devalued. William, you are 100% correct. Don't you think then, and we are on the same page, I'm not sure if that makes for good radio because we might want to be on opposite pages, but when you take a look, the model that the community is still saying, the community, the the town fathers are saying, well, I know that's happening, but we're still going to build our model of revenue coming in based upon what our model was in the past, regardless of the rationale, and yes, I know. You know, if I had my way, I'd stop education for about four years, but it's a big business, and it's a big business of um, uh, the government feeding money in. That's a, another discussion. No, no blame to millennials. They have. We could talk and have discussions about that in another show, but bottom line is the model still says this is going to happen. And you, then you put on top of that, the fact that most, let's say, look at pension plans, whether it's firemen, policemen, municipal workers, their actuarial assumptions run six to eight percent. They're lucky if they can get. Two. I should explain this. I should explain this for people who are listening who aren't uh, who aren't economists. That means that they expect the stock market that the pension is invested in to grow at six or eight percent per year, when in fact they'd be lucky to get one or two percent now, which means that a huge proportion of those pension funds are broke, right? That's absolutely correct. And you have to remember, many of those pension plans, someone could say, well, well look, Bill, look at and William, look at the stock market the last few years, how well it's done. Many of those pension plans have a, a requirement in them to be so much money into fixed income, specifically 
into treasuries. Now, we know mm-hmm. what treasuries have been paying the last few years. Did they squat? if they can get to 2.5%, right? Yeah. And so, so, so you have this combination of poor performance of the pension plan and lack of cash flow coming from the so-called model. And as the millenniums, uh, the millennials, I should say, uh, become the dominant group, now maybe even more so, as I think, more than the, the baby boomers, well, we see uh, we have a, a major, major problem. Okay, hang on a second here. You, you, sound, you sound like you might be just going off. I know that you're in, in, in Arizona, but you see, sound like you might be heading off to do an Occupy Wall Street. Isn't there something wrong happening here when the pension funds are absolutely not performing, but people in pension, uh, sorry, in hedge funds in Wall Street are coming out as billionaires in their 30s? Of course, when you're when you're looking at the wow, you just you just thrown out a a, a ball that is a major discussion. Why? Because you're looking at who wins when you look at the model that has been put forth by the Federal Reserve over the last several years. Low interest rates. Well, you can say, oh, gee, Bill and William, the stock market has done well for the last few years, but who's actually participated in the stock market? And who is actually going to benefit from the stock market? You know it's your top one-tenth of one percent. The performance of individuals who, when they get to 60, 65, 70, they're being forced to go into the stock market. Why? Because they are looking at an income stream that is non-existent. Mm -hmm. CDs, treasuries, savings accounts, they're being forced to go someplace else. Now, that we circle back to the millennials because I've talked to many and saying, um, I, I give you an example. I live in northern Arizona, actually, mm-hmm. and in northern in, in Flagstaff and spend my time traveling the country. But this is my date. Northern Arizona University is here. Young lady who works at Staples. She's been there for five years, graduated in anthropology, number one in her class, has the hundred and twelve thousand dollar debt, would love to work in anthropology. But as she says, the guys who are 65 and 70 are not retiring. They're not leaving. And so the guys below them can't move up, and I can't get in. So we come back to that model that says, oh, yeah, well, you graduate with your anthropology degree, and, and you'll go to work, and you'll get married, and you'll buy your house, and you'll work here, and you'll pay taxes, etc. But that's not happening. So one of the big things is who's performing well. It's that top one-tenth of 1% who've been able to take advantage of that model of the, of what the Federal Reserve has put forth, low interest rates. B- Bill, you're able to conf- to convince me that the system is broke. Um, offer me alternatives. Offer me solutions. Well, I think I think that we had an opportunity, William, back in 2008. You ask most people today, does capitalism work, especially the millennials? Because we talked about the millennials. They'll say, no, it doesn't work. That's why there was such a a, oh, let's say an enthusiasm for Bernie Sanders, socialism. Mm-hmm. And so there was this, 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 this wanting for socialism. Well, the problem is that these young people, the millennials, don't, didn't see capitalism. They saw crony capitalism. They saw if you could buy a, a congressman or senator, you could keep your business running. Now, capitalism doesn't theoretically work that way. It says that 
you know, you look at you look at failures. There has to be failures in capitalism. Thomas Alva Edison said he knew there's uh, what 450 ways that an electric light bulb didn't work. Yes, but you see, he never would have gotten to the light bulb that did work because he would have been supported every time he failed by the government. If we we're under the Zay system, we should have let some of those banks fail. We should have let the uh, uh, GM fail. We should have let these things fail because historically there's always been something to replace it. And when it comes forward, the new ideas, the new enthusiasm, that gives the opportunities for the millennials, for the new people to take their place and let interest rates don't, I mean, the, 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 the Keynesian trying to manipulate and control the business cycle, it doesn't work. There are failures. You know, there are people out there who are 65, 70 who don't want to be working. They want to be retired. I, I should say, Bill, that you at the start said that you were an Austrian. That doesn't refer to your nationality. I take it what you mean is that you're an Austrian economist, which is a very, um, shall I say, a very purist anti-intervention uh, model of economics, a, v a very pure capitalism saying that the state should almost never intervene in the economy. If the banks are going bust, if GM is going bust, you say to hell with them, let them go bust. Are you sure that would not cause so much disruption? We saw, for example, uh, Donald Trump, who I try not to mention too much on this podcast. We saw Donald Trump elected by people who were essentially people who lost out on industrial reform, that, that things are being mechanized and what can't be mechanized can be moved to China. And the blue-collar workers essentially protesting against that moved and voted to Trump. Is it not likely that if you said, to hell with it, let the banks fail, let GM close, let all a lot of these uh, older industries close, we might have a revolution on our hands. I don't think so, William. I don't think so. And the reason I say that is because I'm kind of the, the belief that there is always the individual or groups of individuals who think that they can do better. And when you look at it, I always find the restaurant industry as a, as a classic. Mm -hmm. And that is, you see, a restaurant will go in and it will fail. And then all of a sudden there'll be another one that will go in in the same spot, not the same kind. Let's say it's, uh, the Italian is replaced by the Mexican restaurant. But the idea is that the person who goes in and says, you know something, I think I could do it better. I think the reason they failed was the service wasn't there, the, the marketing wasn't there. I think I can do that better. That works well for a restaurant. But when you have a company town, and this in, in the Rust Belt in the US, which is where Trump essentially got elected, you have a lot of company towns where there's basically one blue-collar employer in the town. That closes down, the town dies. It's not the same as a restaurant closing, is it? No, I understand that, and I agree with you. But then you have to look at why that restaurant or excuse me, why that town is dying or why that company is dying. Was it because of governmental intervention? You look at the number of regulations, the number of rules. When we go to, we, we go to uh, coal as a, as a wonderful example, and you see that individuals who get elected, 
and they they come into office and they say, all right, well, you know, coal, no good. No, we can't. We can't have coal. We can't have oil and gas. We've got to do strictly wind and solar, and that's it. And we're going to kill that off. Doesn't work that way. I mean, you you when you look at here we go, Keynesian again. When you get look at government intervention, government intervention can be very very detrimental. And yes, it can have a major impact on all sorts of industries. I'm a believer in free market capitalism. That's what I believe in, and that's and I will never change my mind on it. Can can you respond to one thing that I read actually in a book um, called When China Rules the World by a guy called Martin Jacques? Um, he, I know he's yeah, he's I think American, but he is at least I won't necessarily say uh, a supporter, but certainly a sympathizer with the Chinese Communist Party. That, that's perhaps overstating it, but he he advocates their point of view once in a while, um, and he made the point that Britain. In the uh, in the 19th century, the United States in the early 20th century, and even Korea in the past couple of decades, none of these countries have had their industrial revolution have had have moved to being modern economies while they were democracies with in free markets. They actually had government. Picking winners, setting up major corporations in Korea, like Samsung, in, in, uh, in 19th century Britain, uh, there was protectionism. The free market is great for a, an economy that's already developed, but there's not many examples of a country or a society that came from zero, that came from an agrarian economy to being developed in free market economies. Is there? Wow. Um one, if one looks at the next entity, which is to rule or to take the place of, we'll say, the United States, and you make that case for China, mm-hmm. I would have to say that that may be, I, I would take the other, not the other side, but I would say that that may be very short-lived. And the reason I say that is because the adaptation to technology, I just did uh, a talk yesterday on, on one of my programs about the production, Chinese being the dominant in the garment world, producing T-shirts and shirts and things like that. Mm-hmm. Now opening opening a plant in Arkansas, right here in the United States, oh, actually opening a plant, they'll be producing, I don't know how many millions of T-shirts at 33 cents a T-shirt. Why? Because of technology. Mm-hmm. Technology is going to change, I think, dramatically everything. My biggest concern is what do you do with the people? Address the point that while this Austrian very uh, extreme free market solution may may work well in an already developed economy, it doesn't seem to have ever developed an economy from an agrarian society. Well, okay, I would take exception with that because when we moved from an agrarian society in the 1800s here in the United States, mm-hmm. we moved very we we moved to that that uh, manufacturing society, a manufacturing economy. But it was run by oligarchs like the Rockefellers and so forth. It couldn't have it, it couldn't be classified as as a, a free economy in the Austrian sense. Well, Remember the one of the one of the issues when we start to, to get into that, and I'm kind of a little bit lost. You've got me there because I'm trying. My brain's trying to pull out 
Is there anybody who's in, in the pure free sense? I think that even being an Austrian, and even Mises might say that there is, you, you get from uh, step A to step B to step C to step C, a D. It takes time and it, it, it doesn't go automatically, and there's going to be controls. In that particular instance, when the robber barons were basically in control, they slowly they slowly were watching a confrontation between them and the government. And so there was this, this, this I, I don't think you go immediately from one to the other, but I do think that there's this, this movement. But when one dominates, when one takes control, and I think there might be a balance, like I said, that's coming into my brain. There's a balance between these things. Mm-hmm. The government has its place, that um, a Rockefeller has his place. And there's a balance between them, and the unions or the, the the individuals working have their place and all. But what we've seen in the last few years here in the United States is that we've now been dominated by one entity. That's the central bankers. They have they have become the since the Rockefellers or that's uh, 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 the, the, now that we see uh, the, with the central bankers and we see them as the main player. Bill Tatro of BillTatro.com, thank you very much for talking to me. My pleasure. Have you read a blog post or an opinion piece that you think is really right or really wrong? Tell us why. Email podcast at challengingopinions.com and let's discuss it on the next show. That's all for the Challenging Opinions podcast published on October 2nd, 2017. I have links to Bill's website and his podcast and references for things we mentioned in the show notes for this podcast that you can find on the website. Do you know someone who I should interview? What topics should I be covering? I'm always interested to hear your feedback. And if you like the podcast, there's one thing you can do that would really help other people to find it. Go on iTunes, give the podcast a rating and write a short review. There's a link on the website directly to the iTunes page. Also, please like the show on Facebook. On Twitter, you can follow the show at Challenging O. And most importantly, subscribe to the show. It's free. You can use Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or any other podcast app or software. There's links for that and an RSS feed if you want to use that. They're all on the website. And if you don't use a podcast app or software, you can subscribe by email. Just enter your email address on the Challenging Opinions website. And each time we put up a new show, you get a simple free email with a link to listen and zero spam. I promise. You can find all of that or get in touch with me at www.challengingopinions.com. Coming up next Monday, that's October 9th, I'll be talking to Haley Jones, who's a writer with The Daily Beast. The Challenging Opinions podcast is produced and presented by me, William Campbell. The assistant producer is Liam McLaughlin. Thank you for listening. <laughs>